Well, I'm going to wrap up today the series that we've been in for the last month on worship. We've been exploring worship as our highest priority. We could say that uh, biblically, and hopefully we've, we've laid that out as we've went through the weeks and we've looked at why we worship and how we worship and who we worship. And for us as, as a people who are part of a movement of churches, this is a biblical value, but it's also a value that's part of our identity. That uh, if you've been around the vineyard for a while, you have probably had an experience of worship that you recognize this is important uh, for who we are. It's not just something that we do because it's what uh, we're supposed to do. We are expressing uh, things in the context of the relationship that we have. And uh, I was talking with someone this week, and uh, they sort of made a comment that, I don't remember exactly how they worded it, but Basically, they had to sort of observe, like, there seems to be a common thread through a bunch of different things that this idea of relationship just, like, keeps coming up and keeps coming up. And I don't think that that's by accident. I think that's actually by design because our relationship with Jesus really is what it's all about. It's not uh, It's not just that we're ascribing to... A, to a religion, or to a moral code, or even to the concepts that we find in the Bible. Now, you know we value the Scripture. Uh, it, it informs and uh, speaks to the one that we have that relationship with. But it's easy to take it and be like, well, here's the principles, here's the concepts, and because I want to... Uh, get a certain result in my life, I'm going to follow the concepts and principles that are found in the book. Now, listen, don't, 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 try not to, to let me lose you here. doesn't mean that the concepts and principles in the book are wrong. But, but the motivation behind our value and love for the Word of God is that it helps us know the one who inspired it. It comes right back to that relationship context. Okay, that's all free. That's not necessarily part of this message. But today, we're going to look at our values in worship. And one of the, the ways that I want to sort of uh, frame this is that when we think about our values in worship, part of what we're trying to picture is this is what we desire. This is what we desire. And we'll uh, make some particular comments on that. But if you want to follow along, we'll have the main scriptures up on the screen. But we're going to go to John chapter 4. And we're going to start in verse 21. John chapter 4, verse, starting in verse 21. Now, this is, uh, I'd encourage you to go back and read all of chapter 4. Uh, this is an interaction that Jesus has with what is commonly referred to as the woman at the well. And uh, I won't tell that whole story, but, but it's worth reading what precedes the text that we're going to just to understand the, the context. Of. Jesus is having this conversation with this woman at the well. And, and one comment that I will make, it's important to understand, the whole context of the fact that that conversation is able to happen 
is, is interesting in and of itself because uh, these two different groups of people typically didn't associate with each other. It was almost uh, scandalous for them to even be in the same place and to have this conversation. Uh, but let's go ahead and look at what Jesus says as, as, as they go on. In verse 21, this is Jesus' response to some of her comments. Believe me, woman, the time is coming when you Samaritans will worship the Father neither here at this mountain nor there in Jerusalem. You worship guessing in the dark. We Jews worship in the clear light of day. God's way of salvation is made available through the Jews, but the time is coming. In fact, it has come. When what you're called will not matter, and where you go to worship will not matter. Verse 23, it is who you are and the way that you live that count before God. Your worship must engage your spirit in the pursuit of truth. That's the kind of people the Father is out looking for. Those who are simply and honestly themselves before him in their worship. God is sheer being itself, spirit. Those who worship him must do it out of their very beings, their spirits, their true selves in adoration. Father, we're coming to you in Jesus' name, and we're just asking not just that you would bless the reading of your word, but would you help us access the truth of your word? And in pursuit of that truth, would you deepen our relational understanding of you? Would you deepen the relationship that we have with you? And would you help us come alive in the pursuit of truth? That as we adore you, as we catch a glimpse of your majesty and your greatness, and we will be drawn to worship you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Worship, as we've just read, is a natural response to the reality of God. Now, I think we need to unpack that a little bit because we say the reality of God... We're not talking about knowledge that he exists, right? So uh, there, granted, there probably are people still in existence today that haven't yet heard of Jesus. That, that reality could exist for some. But in our cultural context, we're not, well, let me just say it this way. You know people in your life that have a knowledge that God exists, maybe even believe that he exists, and yet, they would not probably consider themselves, nor would you look at them and say, oh, those are, those are worship people. Those people worship God. So, so we need to unpack what, what is being said here, and it has to do with the reality of God. One thing that I think can be easily missed uh, is understanding... The, I struggle, I'm still struggling with some of the language for this because it's, it becomes a false dichotomy. We can emphasize the, the personal 
nature of God, and we do. And that, I mean, that relational, we've just been talking, that relationship is important. It, it's, it's, it, we desire that. We can do that so much that it comes at the expense of the greatness and the majesty and the, you know, the one who created the universe. And, and it's, it's difficult for us to have both of those realities exist in the, at the same time because it feels like they, they pull again. Well, is he, is he my friend or is, you know, is he this? And, and I talked to you last week about, no, two weeks ago about how, you know, some can get a picture of God, you know, sort of the, the, the grumpy old guy up in the sky, you know, and it's like it's very distant. Well, the truth of it is God's greatness, his majesty, the, the reality of all that he is does not mean in our context that he's distant. That's actually part of the beauty of the closeness of relationship that we can have because, see, in our minds, if we don't have an accurate assessment of who God is and who we are, our natural world would teach us, well, if we're of lowly stature, then we can't be close to those that are not, right? This is pervasive throughout our culture, the haves and the have-nots, and we, and we don't mix, we don't, we don't mingle. Uh, and, and then there are those who cross the line and sort of rise up through the ranks, and then you hear things like, you know, don't forget where you came from trying to pull people back. That dynamic is totally turned on its head in the kingdom. The reality of, of all that God is, and again, I, 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 it's like I don't have language to describe, but if you just use this elementary phrase, the bigness of God. I, I mean, I think we would do well to even just ponder that at times. How big is he? What? What is he capable of? We can look at things he's already done, but the Bible would tell us that he is able to do exceedingly. We just sung. More than we could think or imagine. It's like the, the limits of my imagination don't even touch where he can go. And I can, I can imagine some pretty big things. I don't know about you, but you know I have some some big things in my life that I'm asking him for. And, and I feel like at times, you know, he's, he's told me, you're not asking for enough. Ask for more. Dream bigger. Now, this is not just about dreams of, you know, uh, whatever you might fill in the blank. As far as you can go, the biggest, most grandest, oh, if God could do this, it's like that's not even like testing his limits because the reality is he doesn't have limits we we can't even get a concept of his bigness because it's not within us to to go there like he he's that big and and you could even multiply that out take the reality of the eight billion people on the on the earth and all the people past and all people future and that promise still applies across the board every single one of us could take those things in our mind that we think are beyond reach, that are so big, and God says, I have the capability of all of that within myself. I'm that, I'm that big. I'm, I'm that capable. And yet, in tension with that, or in conjunction with that, I would propose this morning, he is also intimately close. 
he is present. We like to say he's, he's never farther than I can just reach out and touch him. And that doesn't diminish his bigness. If you could think about it, this I'm, I'm trying not to do, you know, language jump through uh, hoops here. But think about what we've just described, and, and as you've thought in your own mind, about the extent of his bigness. To the same degree that he is that big, he is that close. Okay, so when we're talking about all the ways we could describe how big and majestic and amazing and awesome God is. If I had like a, like a bar graph, you know, we might think, oh yeah, you know, we could put that bar real high, but, but his closeness, we're, we're not quite so sure. He's just as close to you as he is big. Okay. What we're talking about when we say worship is a natural response to the reality of God is when you start to get a taste of that. When you start to have an experience of how good God is. Worship. Now, I'm not talking about we all, you know, come here on a Tuesday and, and run in the door and, and gather here and sing a song. No, I'm talking about the heart posture of worship. In those moments where you're encountering a situation and you don't know what to do and you don't have an answer, and all of a sudden, as you're crying out to him and you're praying, he, like, drops in your spirit. Here's an alternative maybe you didn't consider. And all of a sudden it feels like a door is open and an answer has been made available that you didn't think was possible. You're encountering his goodness, his bigness, and his closeness. And, and, and especially when it's something that touches you deeply, in that moment as you recognize, you know, I've been saying for a long time that God is good, but right now I, I'm, I'm living it. God, God is good. That I didn't have an answer to whatever this is, and now I do. When that happens, a heart posture of worship is a natural response. And, and, and my encouragement before we move on is that we would do well to cultivate with God. God, what is your reality like? Because I'm just like you in that it's very easy to assess my reality based on how I feel and based on where I fit into it. And I think it's important for us to ask God, God, what is your reality? I have, I have a question that a mentor gave me a long time ago that's really, really hard to ask in the middle of a hard thing, but I found it really important in allowing him to shift my perspective. You can be in the midst of whatever it is, and you can say to God, God, where are you working in this situation? What, what are you doing right now? Because I'll be honest, like, if I'm thinking of different examples from my past and my mind, I, I, if we're honest, sometimes in that moment, I'm not really interested in that. I'm overwhelmed by how I'm feeling. I'm overwhelmed by how this uh, circumstance or situation is not only causing me to feel, but I'm worried about where's, what if? Where's this going to go next? What's going to happen? What are people going to think? And I can easily be overwhelmed by the circumstance and not too concerned about what God's doing. And I might even pray things like, God, would you take this circumstance away? 
Would you, would you to use a, a, a religious biblical phrase, would you move this mountain out of the way? And, you know, that, that's a promise. But sometimes his way is through. Sometimes the circumstance is not going to move, and he's going to say, you know, what I'm doing is I'm giving you an opportunity to grow in grace. I'm giving you an opportunity to look more like me. I may have used this analogy before, I don't remember, but if you squeeze an orange, what comes out? Orange juice. Yeah, it's not a trick question. If you, ho- hopefully, if you've not misidentified the fruit, when you squeeze an orange, juice comes out. Because that's what it is. What should come out when a Christian gets squeezed? Jesus, or more Christ. We are a Christian. Is that now, but honest, now don't, is that always what comes out when you get squeezed? It's not for me. Does that mean maybe that we're not fully in touch with the reality of God? That we've not been able to find pause enough to ask him, what are you doing? Because here's the secret to some of the hardest things in life. And I'm not saying that they're not hard. Right? You guys know. I, I mean, I, we can be real. We can say whatever it is, this stinks. I don't like I think that's like totally valid prayer. God, I don't like this. I don't understand this. I don't know where this is going. I can't possibly see a way out. I can't possibly understand what's going to happen. And yet, can we ask him, but what are you doing? What are you doing? Where are you moving? Because he always is. And we need to become aware of that reality. And, and here's the truth. I know that's one of those, I keep using this phrase. I have some things I need to train out in my vocabulary. Because I overuse them. There is a reality to the fact that in our time here on the earth, we have an opportunity to worship. And this particular opportunity is one that we will not have when we get to heaven. It's to worship from a place of pain and brokenness and confusion. That is a sacrifice that we won't have that opportunity later. Because we know when we get there, when the fullness of his kingdom comes, and we go to spend eternity with Jesus, all of it will be taken care of. All of it will be made perfect. And so the unique opportunity that we have in these moments on the earth is to recognize his reality even when we hurt, even when we are confused, even when we don't know what's next. And I will tell you, friends, because I've been there, and I'm sure most of you have too, in your deepest pain... When God comes through, when God shows up, it touches you just as deeply. And you get to know him in a place and in a way that you wouldn't without the opportunity of whatever that circumstance is. And, and I will tell you, like, if you haven't experienced it in that place, it really is the natural response. Because you recognize, I, I, I didn't have a way. And suddenly God has make a way. Okay. Carrying that theme, worship is an honest expression 
of our relationship with God. We've already touched on this. It's an honest expression. It doesn't have to be flowery language. We're not on a first date with God, right? We're not trying to impress him. We're not trying to show him how much we know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick on a pet peeve of mine. This is not, it's not about a person, but because I, I can say this because I've done this and I've tried to let God grow me out of it. We can have a tendency to uh, do what I call preach pray, and we're praying and we're just like kind of talking through. God, I want to make sure you know that I understand. And we start like talking, I know this and I know this and I know this. And it's like, and sometimes we're doing that for the benefit of other people. God knows your heart. He knows what you really believe. He knows your reality. So I think rather than trying to express, these are all the things that I know or that I'm trying to just express where you're at, what you're feeling, what you're asking him for. Worship is an honest expression of our relationship with God. And again, it's in that moment, we used this phrase a, a couple weeks ago, worship is, is in between the cracks, right? It's like somehow as we give voice to these expressions of our heart, God, you're good. God, you're, you're good. Somewhere in there, sometimes even just for a moment, because we have trouble staying there. I mean, I would, I'll be honest. Some, we have trouble staying in, in the now of that. But somewhere in the moment of those honest expressions, and, it's, and like I said, they can actually be deepened and, and enriched if you're coming to it from a place of pain. But somewhere in there, all of a sudden, God, you're good. God, you're good. And then it's like you go to another place, another reality. Oh, God. <laughs> you're good. Like, you're so good. You're, you're, you're gooder than I could have imagined. <laughs> right? It's like that, that is worship. It's almost like you're in another reality. Even if it's just for a moment, it, it, suddenly it's like nothing else matters. In that moment, the reality of God's goodness is all there is. It's all there is. And we can be honest in that place. Because again, he is good. And so if I come to him, God, you're good. But I'm struggling. Or I'm confused. Or I don't know what to do. He's not going to just like, sorry kid, you didn't make an appointment. He's going to meet you in that. He's going to meet you in that. I want to talk here for just a minute. Actually, let's go do this real quick. The heart of this whole series, and I think of this passage and the other texts that we've based this out of, is that God is, has been for all time and is still calling out people to worship him. He's like actively seeking it. That's what he says. He says, the time will come and has come. Can we just pause there for a second? God's the only one that can say that kind of stuff, right? He was and is and is to come. 
It's not linear. All three realities can be true at the same time. Okay, I'm not, I'm not going to go down that road right now, but just chew on that. God is seeking those who will worship him. Now, if you don't have an experience of this, it can sound like, well, God's got, like, gone on an ego trip. Like, he needs us to, to butter him up and say nice things and make him feel good. And uh, that couldn't be further from the truth. It's actually the opposite of that is that God knows his own identity. He knows, he understands that he is not only the center of the universe, he is the greatest good that exists. He is all in all. And he knows that. And us learning to express that truth back to him actually causes us to draw him close. It actually causes us to be able to move towards him who is the source of all goodness, of all blessing. And as we discover and experience the majesty of God, the reality of his presence in our daily lives, and his availability to us in our times of need, we will be unable to stop from worshiping him. It will be a natural response. Okay, I want to look at three quick things. If you were taking notes or, or outlining this, these are kind of sub-points, um, because these are more personal to us. But I just wanted to highlight some things that, that inform worship specific to our context. In worship, especially here at Vineyard Peoria, here's three. Now, there, there probably are more things on this list, but I think these are three things that we desire in the reality of our worship here at Vineyard Peoria. And the first is we desire intimacy with God. That it's not us singing songs to someone who's far away uh, or who's removed from our present reality. No, we desire intimate, close proximity, relational connection with God. And, and that extends beyond the singing time, right? That's included, but it extends beyond that. It's, it's, it's a reality that is present every time I get in touch with who he is. And I'm developing this intimate relationship with him but we don't want to be removed from that when we do gather to worship corporately we want intimacy with god we desire that we desire freedom of expression now this makes some of us uncomfortable right because everybody's worship can look a little different you may not worship it may not the essence of worship but you the way you worship may not look like the way i worship right but it's a heart matter. So, so for us to look at what somebody else's outward expression of worship is and to judge it is not our place. Now, granted, uh, people who would have a problem with this would you know, take me to passages where it says to do things neatly and in order. And I'm not talking about uh, some extreme where there's no sort of well, it's, that's not what you experience, right? I mean, that's not our, our current practice. But, but what we desire 
is if we are in intimate relationship with God, that we have the freedom to express that. Whether that means something as subtle as just going like this, posturing yourself, this is, this is openness, this is surrender, this is I'm, I'm willing to receive, or if it's uh, dancing, or if it's actually just like laying down face flat on the floor, just in awe and the presence of God. But what, whatever it is, we desire that there is a freedom to express. Because I don't know about you, you know, I, I was a worship pastor long before I was any other kind of pastor. So like this is a, an area that's near and dear to my heart. I want people to feel that it's a safe place to express things outwardly. I am not looking for a particular... You could hear this and say, you know, well, he's trying to get people to do some certain thing. That's not my purpose at all. But I want to help us create an atmosphere and a culture where different forms of expression... There's freedom, there's space for that, and it's not a statement that everybody else has to do it, because this is not a cookie-cutter thing. I've told you stories before of some of my early encounters in worship, and in some of those contexts, just simply raising my hands was like, you know, really outside of the cultural norm. Uh, It it was like, made people look at me, like it was a, I'm not trying to overemphasize it but in that context it like it wasn't a common expression and i'm not saying i didn't have freedom nobody asked me to stop raising my hands but i know there were probably also people who silently were judging that expression but one of the realities is as you encounter god and as the goodness of him seeps into the deepest places of your heart and soul Sometimes you're just like we grasp for language, we're grasping for is there an expression that can adequately convey what it is that I'm experiencing in the deepest part of my spirit? And sometimes the answer to that is that I'm going to spin around in circles, or I'm going to dance, or I'm going to wave a flag, or I'm going to do whatever. And it's not about now. Again, we don't know people's hearts and motivations. I'm not saying that nobody has ever done anything like that because they want to be seen. It happens, but we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater because I think for the most part what is happening is we're trying to find a way to express this reality that rests deep within us where sometimes just mere words fall short. In the context of that same line of thinking, we also desire, we expect the kingdom to break in. You see, God is not compartmentalized. I don't know if you knew this, but when we put together an order of service, kind of, you know, we're going to do this and then we're going to do this, uh, God doesn't wait until ministry time to show up. I'm thankful. Uh, He doesn't necessarily even wait to be invited. Again, we're saying like his reality is so big, he's probably uh, been present and trying to work and trying to speak the whole time. 
And so the reality is, as much as I value and expect things to happen when we have a ministry call and someone comes down and says, I've got this problem and I'm going to pray for them, that same experience can happen in the midst of worship. Because what we're saying is, when the kingdom of God is present, these realities become possible. And, and I'm not going to, we're doing prayer series next, so I'm not, I'm not going there, but I'm just, just touching on this. When we pray for someone and they get healed, it's because the kingdom is present. It's because suddenly the reality of the kingdom of God has like breaking in, broken into the current moment. That same reality happens in worship. And I, I have countless stories. It would be good probably to share some of them at times of, of folks experiencing that. Nobody laid a hand on them. Nobody prayed for them. God just sovereignly touched them in the context of worship. And so not only do we desire that, we expect that. That, that feeling that you might experience at times, when it just feels like something in the room has shifted. Suddenly it feels like God is more present than he was a moment ago. That reality in worship is like the reality of God, the kingdom of God, is like pressing up against our reality. It's like there's, there's two different sort of realms or planes of existence and they're starting to cross. The reality of God, and, and this is where it can get, can get tricky, because again, God, God is, was, is, is to come. And so it's not just that like, and we just prayed this earlier, we're not inviting God because we don't think he's here, or that he hasn't showed up yet, or that he's running late. But what we're saying is, God, the reality of you, the expression of you, the, your, your presence, you used to say the power that we're like if we if we want the pow, power to change people's realities the power to transform people and i i mean i probably don't have to tell you i don't have that power in my own self i can't change your life i can't make you into anything i don't have my own power to heal you, to set things right, to make your life better, to give you peace, to give you joy. But when the one who does shows up and is present, all of those things become available. Now, we're not always good at, at engaging with it, but the power that we're seeking to make a difference, to make the God different, is found in his presence. And that's why worship is our highest priority. Because worship helps us not only encounter him, but connect with him in his presence so that all of these realities become possible. Final point, and then we're going to look at a scripture to close. Worship is a lifestyle with Jesus at the center. Now, there's all kinds of songs and scriptures and things that talk about Jesus being the center. But the picture that I'm trying to paint here is that it's, 
I mean, let me back up and illustrate this this way. Uh, where I grew up, most of my entire family lives in the same small town about four hours south of here. The town is one square mile, so that paints a little bit. It's like, you know, you can walk from one side to the other and not be totally out of breath if you take your time. But I remember as a young person, uh, a few of my, and I, I, I admit, I realized that I was extremely blessed that this was my reality. Uh, I had almost all of my grandparents still living. I had uh, four great-grandparents still living, up until like almost middle school. Now, we had a few years there in the mid-90s where we had a whole lot of funerals, and that's another reality. But as a young person, I had a lot of, we had like five generations. We had a lot, and we're, and we're a big family too. And so I remember though, there were a handful that lived a ways away. And I, I still have such great memories of, it's time to go visit Aunt, Pans- Aunt, Aunt Pansy and Uncle Marion, because they were the ones that lived a little bit... But we would make that trip because of the relationship that we... Because our family is also very close. And so we would make that trip to go visit with Aunt Pansy and Uncle Marion. And I remember they had, you know, their, their toys were a little different. They had some really cool little Amish-made wooden trucks and things that I was just fascinated with. So I looked forward to that. But my relationship with them was never the same as it was with my parents that I lived with 24-7. God's reality that he desires for us is more like a habitation that's continual than a visitation. God's reality in your life, he doesn't want to be that you come, he does want you to come here. He doesn't want you to come here on Sunday morning to visit with him. He wants to habitate with you 24-7. He wants his reality to be present with you 24-7. And that's that lifestyle that I'm talking about. Now, when I say lifestyle of worship, I'm not talking about we all need to be in the ministry. or We all need to be learn how to lead worship music. No, no, no. It has nothing to do with that. God has, has planted you in the spheres of influence that you're in, but he should be at the center, and that reality should be present. And that's how I live my life is that Jesus is the center of everything. Flip with me, if you will. It will also be on the screen. Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at just a handful of verses to, to begin to wrap this up. We look at this son and see the God who cannot be seen. We look at this son and see God's, of course this is referring to Jesus, We see God's original purpose in everything created. For everything, absolutely everything above and below, visible and invisible, rank after rank of angels, everything got started in him and finds its purpose in him. He was there before any of it came into existence, and he holds it all together right up to this very moment. And when it comes to the church, he organizes and holds it together like a head does a body. 
He was, the, he was supreme in the beginning and leading the resurrection parade. He is supreme in the end. From beginning to end, he's there, towering far above everything and everyone. So spacious is he. Here we're talking about that bigness again. So spacious is he, so expansive that everything of God finds its place in him without crowding. So don't ever tell me there's not room for you in the kingdom. Not only that, but all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things and animals and atoms, get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. Get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies. Let's finish the next few verses. You yourselves are a case study of what he has done. At one time, you all had your backs turned to God thinking rebellious thoughts of him, giving him trouble at every chance you got. Don't say amen if you identify with that. Um, But now, by giving himself completely at the cross, actually dying for you, Christ brought you over to God's side. And he put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. You stay grounded and steady in the bond of trust, constantly tuned in to the message, careful not to be distracted or diverted. For there is no other message, just this one. Every creature under heaven and earth gets this same message, and he concludes by saying, I, Paul, am a messenger of this message. And I would say to you this morning, You too are a messenger of this message. Part of the reality of living a lifestyle of worship is that worship is also participating in God's work. By living a lifestyle of worship with Jesus at the center, I participate in carrying his reality into the places of the world where it has not yet been recognized or accepted or lived into. I carry that reality And and just like we use the farming analogy, I plant seeds and I water. But I'm carrying the reality of that one message, the reality of God's kingdom, come to earth, made available, free, and it's here for you. 